This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. During the summer months, I really want to spend less time indoors looking at screens. But when you're in the mood to watch a Hallmark movie, what can you do? Listen to a fun rom-com audiobook, of course. Download Play to Win, written by Jody Slaughter and read by Lacey Laurel. It's a sizzling romance set in a small town where a winning lottery ticket leads to a second chance at love for estranged high school sweethearts. Jodie Slaughter's first novel, Bet On It, was beloved by fans on Bookstagram and BookTok and got rave reviews, and this follow-up is another perfect escape. Start listening to Play to Win by Jodie Slaughter now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kopinski, and today I'm very excited to have Michelle Hoffman on the podcast to discuss her new novel, The Second Ending, a former prodigy who refuses to believe her best years are behind her, and a young virtuoso searching for his passion, both get an unlikely shot at their dreams in the sparkling debut about second chances, unexpected joys, and the miraculous power of music. Michelle Hoffman is a former arts and entertainment writer for the Arizona Republic. She began formal piano lessons at the age of five and now lives in Arizona with her husband, two spoiled chitsus, and a very large piano. Michelle Hoffman, thank you for being here. Congratulations on the second ending. It was such a delightful read, and I'm still very sad that my time with these characters is over. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Laura, for uh, I'm glad to be here, and I'm thrilled you enjoyed the book. Yeah, it was so much fun to read. I'm excited excited to hear about what it was like to write. And um, to start us off, can you just tell listeners a little bit more about the premise for the second ending and the characters we meet in the book? Yes. So um, the premise of the second ending is about a middle-aged housewife who has a midlife crisis. And she was a former piano prodigy. So... That's kind of the medium, I think, for all of us to look at, you know, long held dreams that we didn't go after. And um, I I want the book to inspire people to take a second look at something they really wanted to do, even if it's it sounds so impossible to do it. It's 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 more about waking up in the morning and working toward the goal it's not necessarily achieving the goal. Um, It's just living in the moment from day to day. I wanted, that's what I wanted people to take away uh, from this novel. Um, Each character in the book, and there's a lot of them, (laughs) but each character kind of symbolizes everyone's different journey to get to that place. Um, From Prudence, the main character, to Jesse, the former college student who's wants to find his own passion. Everybody takes a different journey. Um, even the villain of the book. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So the characters kind of represent all the different journeys and I hope readers can at least identify with, with one of them or maybe more. Yeah, definitely related to a few and Prudence in particular, I just thought was so quirky and fun to read about, but also just felt like such a real person to me that I was so invested in what was going to happen to her. And I wondered if she came easily to you as a character, if it was hard to find sort of her voice and 
maybe inner life, kind of what was it like developing her character? Yeah, that's a great question because when I started writing the book, um, I started it in first person and I wanted the, I wanted the main character to have a very special talent, a very special skill. And when I started writing it, it was horrible because it was just boring. And I, I felt like the reader, I felt like we needed distance from prudence to make her eccentric. And so I um, started reading a short story about from third person about a main character. And it gave me this idea that, Oh, I can make prudence kind of eccentric and get, and put some distance. And I, could not build this character on paper, you know, as an outline. It The more I wrote about Prudence, the more she, I got to know her and her background. So that came very organically from just writing about her. And by the third chapter, she took off in my mind. Um, and I thought it would be funny if her parents were hippies, because that's not the typical piano prodigy path, you know, and so things like that, it just, it just came to me as I was writing. So yeah, she, um, she, I, I loved writing about her. She was a lot of fun. Yeah. She was so much fun to read and that he hearing about it sort of changing from first to third person kind of, um, somewhat answers one of my other questions, which was going to be, would we recognize an early draft of this book or did it have lots and lots of versions and revisions? And um, maybe was it challenging to get to sort of where we see it now? Um, yes. And no. well, the first, the first attempts with in first person. Okay. So I abandoned that, but I, I pretty much when I was writing the novel, um, I had all the characters there. So the initial manuscript that I sent to my agent, not much has changed. Um, the pacing was a little bit, we had to work on the pacing. It is kind of an ambitious novel because there are so many story arcs in there. So I, I probably would have, um, if I knew, <laughs> I probably would have scared myself out of it before I even started. But I felt like all the characters to me were very important because it was just so many different ways to go about a goal. And um, yeah, so it was, pacing was was challenging, but I think for the most part, it it wasn't, uh, there weren't too many changes to the, to the novel. I really liked being in the world of music and in this novel, and I wondered, um, if that was something you had to do some research on, or if you found out anything sort of that stuck with you or was, or maybe surprised you as you were kind of trying to bring that world to life? Yeah. So I had been playing the piano since I was five and um, I'm not a prodigy <laughs> and I had all the <laughs> traditional piano lessons and um you know, classical music pieces, some of the war horses like Moonlight Sonata. Um, I, I think I really wanted to bring those pieces alive. And um, I would 
get up, I practice every morning and I would get up and I'd take my composition notebook to my piano and I'd play the songs and I would describe them in the notebook. Um, what I, what, what I felt as I was playing them, um, you know, what did the chords feel, sound like, what could be like clock chimes, you know, and uh, one, I think there's a line in there I wrote about that, but it was very important for me to bring the music alive because, you know, not many people are interested in listening to classical music anymore, or maybe it's background music, but the pieces are, are just very beautiful and, and well-written and each movement tells a story. I, so I did research prodigies and I read a book about them and is it, are prodigies actually real? And I, I do believe that there are prodigies and in music um, that's was the difference between Alexei Petrov and Prudence. I kind of wanted to highlight that difference between somebody who has this incredible, unusual ability to immediately know what the, this musical piece is about. That's not normal. And children, they don't have those emotions yet. They haven't lived enough. And these composers, these this this music that's been around for so long, it's the it's 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 staying power is because the composers knew how to get emotion out of people. So to have a prodigy master that or have a a child master that is very unusual. And Alexei was um he had a talent to play and and you know he could be very focused. So that's kind of how he came to be a great piano player. So I, I guess to answer your question, it was I did have to research prodigies. I thought it was interesting to the whole idea of kind of going on TV, playing against each other and everything. Was that idea at, at the start? And it made me want to actually <laughs> really watch that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that came about early on um, when I thought, how how can Prudence, you know, what would be the medium, the best way for Prudence to prove herself as a true artist? And a concert sounded kind of boring. Um, I thought, no, I mean, I guess it, that could happen, but it. I thought American Idol is such a popular show that it would have to be a TV show. But years ago, I was in a dueling piano bar. Have you ever been to one of those? Yes, I I just went to one this fall, actually, for the first time. Did you fun. like it? <laughs> I did. I thought it was fun. I thought it was the one I went to. I was writing a story for the newspaper. And um, so that was my story. And I went and I thought it was just incredible. These piano players you know, for them to have all that music at their fingertips right away, it's it's really a skill. And I just think it's so fun to watch. So I thought, what if that could be a television show? Because those are very popular um, venues. The dueling piano bars are really popular. So that came, that came about that that would be the best way. I kind of did know how it was going to end. I mean, we're not going to talk about the ending, but... Um, it was in my head that the showdown had to be this TV show and they would duel each other. So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's how it came about. Yeah. I also really liked, um, 
getting to see. So one thing that was making me think of how the, the perspectives work really well, watching Prudence sort of jump to these big conclusions and make very um, drastic assumptions um, in like an argument with her husband, but that we also sort of see his perspective. I thought their dynamic was really funny. And I also really liked that in the book, you know, this part of her life is changing, trying to sort of chase this professional ambition. But sometimes I feel like it's nice to read about a character where, she doesn't completely blow up her life. You know, she's still living in the same house. She has her daughters off at school. You know, she still has her husband there. It's this professional part of things and this dream that really becomes the focus. And I wondered kind of if that was intentional and and also just how it was sort of writing the dynamic between her and like the neighbors, her husband, the people that are still in her life as she's kind of pursuing this. Yeah. So um, I think it was intentional because I think we all, especially as uh, mothers, we all go through transitions um, with our kids. Like, so you have a preschooler and it's, Oh, I've got to send them to preschool. And it's, it's this transition of their, now they're not with you in the day. And um you know, and it builds and builds until they get to high school and they're driving and, and then they leave for college. And I did feel like now what, even though I was writing for the newspaper, you know, it just felt like what's, what's the ultimate goal? What do I want to do? And I think all, I think a lot of women do go through that. There was a time when um, maybe 10 years ago, a lot of women were running marathons and it was sort of a way to just have their own space um, and to achieve a goal, which we all need those. And it's very healthy. Um, so, yes, it was intentional to I wanted people to know that their your kids are super important, but you you need goals in your life that don't really involve the family um, or outside of the family. And the dynamic between Prudence and Stuart, I wanted to keep that a happy marriage, but also there had to be tension in there. Um, because when Prudence, like anyone who decides to pursue something, um, that's going to tilt, tilt things a little bit. But I thought it was really important that um, that marriage stay, you know, happy. Um, and the humor helps, helps with the tension, you know, and, and I hope people can identify in the, with those dynamics that, you know, Prudence is so dramatic and she can never leave Stuart because he can absorb her fears and her anxieties. And that's, that's, you know, that's what a partner does. They're kind of there and they, they, they're your rock. So yes, I wanted to keep it like that. Yeah. And it's making me think the other parts I thought were so funny. I'm trying to remember the neighbors. Well, the the one who's sort of um, out to get her in the neighborhood. Oh, Tamara Quigley. Oh, Tamara. She was, she was such a fun 
character to read about. And I wondered if she was a lot of fun to write her sort of antics. Yes, I loved writing about Tamara. Tamara was kind of, she represents that person who, you know, they just, it was important to see Tamara's motivation for why she was the way she was. And she has her own journey. But I think we kind of all know a Tamara Quigley in our lives. And um, to make her flesh her out a little bit, yeah, she needed to be, we needed to laugh at her. We didn't want to be, I I didn't want anybody to be, you know, she, she's not a, she didn't do good things, but we kind of see why. And um, I thought humor with her was very important. She kind of takes herself too seriously at first. And um, we know people who do that. And um, yeah, I just, I, I liked her journey. I thought it was important for the reader. Well, so in the book, we have you know, a character really relentlessly pursuing a goal. And I wondered, you know, if writing was was that for you and sort of what your own writing journey has been like. Yes, um, exactly. Um, yeah, so I started, I, once my son had gone off to kindergarten or preschool about 2003, I started writing for the newspaper. And before that, I was writing short stories and poems and all that kind of thing in college. Um, And I loved the process of, of, you know, I loved the short form and writing a short story and being creative with it. It's extremely difficult, but um, I'd love to read. and, And so naturally, I wanted to write as well. And sending off a short story, I mean, the rejection is is relentless. Um, it's very hard to get published in a literary journal. I did manage to do it a couple of times. Um, but I think that when I say the goal or the, um, the day-to-day process is the most important because I started waking up early, about 5.30, coffee, get to my desk. And I had two hours to write before my kids got up. And I really felt there was such satisfaction in having those two hours. And when the writing went well, um, the rest of the day, I don't care what happens. (laughs) Yeah. sink blows up, the washer stops working, car breaks down, whatever. The writing went well. And that is what I mean by day to day, it just builds. And so eventually, um, when my kids went off to college, I decided, okay, maybe I'm going to do this really impossible thing and write a novel. And I so enjoyed the process. I mean, there's sometimes when it's frustrating, because you have to problem solve, but I kind of knew this is where I need to be. This is what I was meant to be doing. And so I kind of sort of transpose that into prudence because she always kind of knew, you know, and she had um, people trying to stop her. I mean, her grandmother's treatment of her left her kind of psychologically damaged as far as her talent went. She was exploited, but she kind of just needed that little spark to get it going. And, um, I hope people like see that in themselves, you know, that that it's, it's this little, it's a day to day thing. And prudence starts out kind of slow. You know, you don't just jump into 
practicing for a TV show, it's like it's small little steps. And psychologically, it's it's building your confidence as well as your skill. That's reminding me. I loved the scenes of her trying to work up to practicing and all the ways she procrastinates and <laughs> like the hours go by and she's like taking baths and napping. I was like, Oh, this is so relatable. <laughs> but Absolutely. I liked watching her, you know, then get to the point where she is really kind of on her, on top of her game. And she was just a fun character to, to watch grow. Yeah. Well, good. yeah. Well, I wondered to sort of on this, writing journey has there been have there been any resources that you found particularly helpful um books or groups or podcasts anything like that yes um i and i'm so glad i found them it made a lot of difference so the i joined the women's fiction writers association and that is if you're you know like to write and you want to advance you know, your writing career or try to jump into one, that is a great organization. They offer workshops, they offer cr- critique groups, anybody can join. Um, there's a small fee, I think it's like $60 a year. And it's, a, and you get to know writers that are in your position. And there's a bunch of workshops. So that I think that was very valuable. Um, I'll, I'll jump in in a second that I joined last year, because I'm trying to write my own novel as well and that's how I found uh they they do a great job matching people up with critique groups I have yeah. a critique partner now that came out of that and I, I think that organization is really helpful yes um they particularly um Donald Mass's workshops on there that I took probably like two of those while I was writing the second ending and um extremely helpful I also um used Writers Digest University um, particularly they had a, a couple workshops. One was the first chapter. What do agents look for in the first chapter? And I really found that helpful. Um, and I think other people would, because the first chapter is very important. That's kind of gets your foot in the door um, when you're querying. Um, I also took Writer's Digest query workshops. Um, let's see, books. Um, they're, I think I, I save the cat writes a novel. Um, I think that's good just for structure and pacing. Um, it, it, it sort of gave me some signposts to go along as far as podcast goes. I um, did, this was such an untapped resource for me because before the pandemic, I really didn't listen to podcasts. And then during the pandemic, I'm all about them. So um, yes, I, I, I listen to NPR's book of the day. Um, I love listening to writers talk about how they got to their uh, characters, that sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, those that's are- all really helpful. Well, I wondered too, I always love to hear what authors enjoy reading um, on their own, you know, when they're not writing, are there any books you'd want to recommend to listeners? Um, yes. I am reading other people's clothes. And the author is Kella Hinkle. And I heard that book, it, there's humor in there, um, she, great voice and a great story. 
Lessons in chemistry. That one was um, a good one to read because there was humor in there and a kind of a quirky character. So that one was a good one. Yeah. Um, well, I was wondering too, I know um, as we're talking, this is not even quite out yet, but I wondered if you are like kind of what stage you're at in any other writing processes. Are you, are you throwing out ideas? Are you writing something new? What's, what's sort of the yes. um, book I two? Am, yeah, I'm writing book two. Um, I, can, I can't say too much about it because it's still in process, but it is another female character and it is going to be high concept. And I'm kind of not rushing. I, I, I don't want to rush it because I'm on chapter four and it's nice to go slow before, you know, you have to go fast and make a deadline, but I'm getting to know this character and um, yeah. So I'm definitely up in the morning and I'm on book two and um, I'm enjoying the process. So yeah. What is your writing routine like sort of during that stage? Um, so I will wake up very early. I'm a very early morning writer. Um, I'll kind of wake up at 4.30 the, and check email and the coffee pot um, is programmed. <laughs> so my, <laughs> yeah, I can't do anything without coffee. So I'll wake up, pour myself a cup of coffee, sit at my desk and I'll read. And I'll read a book that's closest to what I'm trying to write. Um, and I'll read pr probably 15 minutes till the coffee kicks in and then I'll start writing and I'll write for about two hours. And that's the, I call that the heavy lifting time of the day because I, I'm the most focused during those two hours. Um, I can solve problems pretty easily in those two hours. It just flows. And then, you know, I'll, stop and practice my piano and feed the dog and walk her and, and do, you know, a little bit of laundry and that kind of thing. When I sit back down on my desk, I, it's, it's not the same process. I'm just kind of looking for little, you know, little things that I can fix, but I don't have the same focus. So yes. Yeah, so I'm a very early morning writer. And then I read at night before dinner, every night before dinner too. I feel like I can reflect and I, I'm a big bath person. <laughs> <laughs> like at night and I get a book and I shut the door and everybody knows not to open that door for an hour. <laughs> Even the dog. <laughs> They're all well trained. Sad, keep that door shut. But I, I think I love that time in the tub because I can look at what I've written that day. And as I'm reading a book, it's like, oh, no, the character should do this. Or no, this should happen first. So... It's a great, you know, it's a great little routine. And I, I don't have children at home anymore. So I, I am free to do that. Um, and my husband will eat whatever I cook for him. And <laughs> well, I love the idea of really weaving reading into your writing time and process in a way. And I, I think that can, if you sort of have your writer hat on too while you're reading, I could imagine that being really helpful. And it just makes me wonder for the second ending, are there any books that stand out that feel a little bit in conversation with your book? Like, oh, I remember I was reading that while I was drafting, or I remember mm -hmm. reading that author while I was revising. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, that's a really good question. Yes. I was reading 
Oh, yes. I read The Princess Bride because that was a novel before um, it became a movie. And I loved the omniscient voice. And I loved, I think that kind of got me on my way with the omniscient voice. And it was humorous. And, um, you know, on the surface, it was kind of light. And so, yes, I did read The Princess Bride. Um, oh, gosh. That's so interesting in terms of, yeah, that um, omniscient, omniscient voice, thinking about different just different aspects that might pull from, from other books. I think that's really interesting. Well, I, I have so enjoyed chatting with you and loved, yeah, I loved the book. I think that people should definitely go grab it to read this summer. It would be the perfect book, I think, to take on vacation and laugh, but also, (laughs) you know, kind of feel inspired to pursue your own dream or your own sort of second chance at things. And um, I would also imagine this would be a great audiobook. Is there an audiobook coming yes, there, for it? Yes, there is an audiobook. Yep. Oh, yeah. It'd be perfect, perfect to listen to this summer as well. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. Um, best of luck as the book comes out into the world and with um, your next book. And I'm so glad that I got to meet Prudence. Yes. And I, I think others are really going to enjoy meeting her as well. Thank you, Laura. This has been fabulous. Thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, this was lovely. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading. 